The title sponsor of Hunt Talk Radio is Leupold. Leupold Optics are the trusted optics of accomplished hunters and shooters. If it has a gold ring on it, you know it was built by American hands in Beaverton, Oregon. Whether it's a new rifle scope, binocular, a spotter, rangefinder, or eyewear, go to leupold.com to learn more and look for these fine Leupold products at your high-quality retailers. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Welcome to Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. As I was walking, I saw a sad thing on the side. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Hope everybody's having a great hunting season. It's almost wrapping up probably by the time this podcast airs. Uh, Today we're doing a podcast about an Alaska bear hunt that we did in May. It was one of the most spectacular bear hunts I've ever done up there. And I think I've done nine or ten trips up there bear hunting. And uh, this one was hard to beat. And... uh, we, we're, there's so many reasons why, and you'll hear about it in the podcast. Uh, but with me are Jim Bagetel, uh, my buddy Jim. You've seen him on so many of our episodes, and you've heard him on this podcast before. Uh, he lives up in Alaska, so uh, we often end up basing camp out of his place, uh, or at least stopping by to visit. Uh, also, Jace, uh, a lot of you have come to learn uh, that Jace is one of our field producers, just like uh, Marcus is. Uh, Jace McFetridge, Jace has been with us for, I think, three years now. Uh, and the funny part of this, you'll hear the story about how Jace and I first met in southeast Alaska. That's when I, where I first met him. Uh And then there's one thing about this hunt. When you see it on video, you're going to say, Newberg, you've turned into a softy, man. Uh, Yep. On this hunt, I surely did. Because uh, Sam Lundgren, who works with uh, Lindell Boats, uh, uh, a boat company out of Seattle, he found out we had tags up there, and so he got a hold of me. He's like, Randy, you guys ought to stay on the boat. We're going to have a – Lindell's going to have a big boat up there, and you may as well just use that as your base camp because it's already going to be there. And I'm thinking to myself, are, are you for real? You mean I wouldn't have to sleep on the beach like I normally do? I And uh, so anyhow, uh, Frank uh, O'Neill, who is uh, one of the – the leaders at Lindell Boats uh, was up there. He he captained the boat while we were there uh, and was such a great guy, so full of knowledge about boats and the history of boats and, and his time fishing uh, up in Alaska. Uh, it just felt that, you know, if we're going to do a podcast on this, we, we got to have Frank and, and Sam in on it because they're the ones who made it possible for this to be such a, a plush hunt. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. This is pretty much just a, a hunting story. Uh, as always, Jim, being the resident uh, geologist and natural historian of Southeast Alaska, uh, he'll always have some, have some of that commentary to add. But uh, 
we're just here talking about Alaska bear and what brings it up is the fact that the the draw for limited hunts uh, in Alaska, the deadline is December 15th. So uh, hopefully you uh, get a chance to, to apply for some of those hunts, whether it's black bear or caribou or bison or moose or, you know, the whole list of them. Uh, but you got to got to do it before the deadline and if you want the huge download of data and information go out to go hunt uh, they'll have strategy articles about uh, applying in alaska they'll have all the draw odds updated and so if you go up there and sign up at go hunt uh promo code randy's gonna put fifty dollars of mad money in your cart uh and it's something that you'll probably be using if you know, all the other applications coming up this winter. So anyhow, uh, hopefully that you, you find something useful uh, in this podcast. And uh, hopefully you feel like you're just sitting around listening to some guys telling the hunting story. So uh, really appreciate you being here. Appreciate all the support we've got from all of you. Uh, the series that just wrapped up here uh, with Andrew McKean and I talking about uh, the attacks on wildlife commissions and the political i guess you'd call it malfeasance <laughs> uh wow you talk about well received thank you so much for for all the feedback and comments on that and uh hopefully you, you you're uh just having a great season that, that's all i can hope for is that everybody listening has a big smile and a freezer full of a wild wild meat so thanks for being here Well, folks, appreciate y'all being here today. I am with four people who have made for one of the best Alaska bear trips I've ever had. And I've had a lot of them. Uh, with us today, uh, well, first of all, I got to talk about Jace McFetridge, the camera guy who follows me around to all kinds of crazy places. And uh, Jace, you, you filmed this, huh? So... Big yep. thanks to you. I had the pleasure of filming it. Yeah. yeah. You're really roughing it too, right? Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. I guess we'll get yeah. into that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Jim Beachtel. Uh, those of you who follow our content, you know that Jim, well, everybody asks for more of Jim Beachtel. Get the guy with the beard and the hawking is what they always say. <laughs> and, uh, he showed up in spades. And then Frank O'Neill from Lindale Boats. This is what uh, folks are going to see this video and they're going to be like, Newber, you are the most spoiled, rotten brat in the entire hunting world. So, Frank, thanks for, uh, for joining us for the podcast. And when people see the video, they're going to ask what kind of connection we have to get to hang out on a boat like yours. So, bring one, bring all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, be careful <laughs> i wouldn't make too many invitations that way because when people see this you'd uh you'd have a long list <laughs> so uh frank is uh, you're like the man in charge of sales and marketing at lindale boats yes yeah and you're based out in washington right yeah i'm on fox island about an hour south of seattle yeah. And then we got Sam Lundgren. Uh, Sam is sitting there in his fishing shop. I, all I can see are fishing rods and all kinds of other fishing gear and paraphernalia. Oh my gosh, look at that. 
And now he's showing, he's just flashing his camera around the room and he did, but I think to, to add to his hunting cred, he brought in a, a Euro mount of a fresh, what was it? Like a five point Montana bull elk there, Sam? Five by six. There you go. So, yeah, yeah. Sam is the one who connected us to Frank. So in, in this process, I mean, Sam, everybody knows you from all your other places, but wait, what's your official title these days? Oh man, I don't have one. I struggle when people ask me what to, what I do. Um, I'm an outdoors writer by trade. That's what I've done for most of my career. But, um, when I left less left my last job at meat eater, uh, the first business to approach me was Lindell yachts. Frank O'Neill here had, had met a friend of mine from high school and, and said he wanted to, uh, bring the, these boat, these awesome boats to the hardcore hunting and fishing world. And I said, well, I don't really know anything about real, real fancy boats, but <laughs> I know some people in the hunting and fishing world. Um, so I think I've made good on making some of those connections and I've been doing, doing, uh, some marketing and media stuff for them as well as, uh, a, uh, fishing travel agency and a bunch of different publications and just sort of wherever the wind blows me. Yeah. Well, sounds like you, you've adopted my theory that don't grow up. Growing up is for, you know, that, that, that's for boring people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No one's ever accused me of that. Yeah. So (laughs) anyhow, folks, uh, in May, we went up to Southeast Alaska. Uh, Jason and I flew in to catch a can and then we took the ferry to Thorn Bay where Jim lives well, no, not to Thorn Bay. Where's the ferry go? Hollis? Is that where it goes, Jim? Yeah, it goes to Hollis. Yeah, the wind was too bad, so they had to take the ferry. And then Jim came and picked us up. And then the next day, we went over and uh, got Jim's boat launched and met up with Frank. And uh, Frank already had the, the Lindell. What was that, Frank? A 40, 42, 41, 42 foot? Yeah. And... Uh, I remember the look Jim and Jason and I had when we all looked at each other like, can you believe we get to live on that for the next week? <laughs> was, uh, what did you think when you saw those twin 600-horse V12 Mercury Verados? Uh, I, I told you guys that I wanted to pay for the gas uh, on this trip, and my first thought was, I wonder if Frank has a heavy foot because I know how how a, a, a V six happens when you give it the juice. I didn't know how a V twelve would happen, but I when we got all done and we went and paid the gas bill, I was surprised how how cheap it was. I don't know, maybe you put up a sale, Frank, and you sailed into the gas, in, in, you know, into the port there. But uh, no, we've been they're efficient, super happy with how efficient those motors are. Yeah, but I, I just can't believe it pushes that boat that fast. But uh, it was a ton of fun. Uh, you know, I you know, we've been up there. I don't know how many times we've done this. We've stayed in Forest Service cabins. I've rented boats in Cake. I've rented boats in Kaufman Cove. I've rented boats at Point Baker. I've slept on the beach. Uh, every time I sleep on the beach, it rains really bad. <laughs> but then when Frank offers us the benefit of this huge boat, it's like, I thought I was in California. The weather was so nice. 
is is that like the norm up there, Jim? I mean, uh, do you just call in weather like that for for when we're bear hunting on? I've I've never did five days in beautiful sunshine with flat calm seas. It was just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God uh, the wind kicked up a couple afternoons. Yeah. Otherwise, people would have thought we were somewhere else if we hadn't <laughs> had a little bit of wind. But uh, so uh, I I got to tell the story about how I met Jace because <laughs> this Jace became an employee of On Your Own Adventures. Because of a bear hunt in Petersburg, right, Jace? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Full circle. It's come full circle. <laughs> yeah. 2018, yeah, I was working out of Petersburg with the Forest Service for a uh, college internship. And I guess you happened to be out there bear hunting. So our paths crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jace is down on the dock filming himself catching hair. Were you down there catching herring or something? To for be bait? honest, I don't know what I was trying to do. I was I was so new to, I mean, fishing <laughs> in salt water and just in southeast Alaska. And that was a whole new experience for me. So I was out there just, yeah, messing around with a fishing rod, trying to catch whatever would bite, you know. And I, it's funny, I was walking out to the dock because I had, was fishing another spot and figured I'd go try off the dock. And I see these guys in camo and i was like oh that's cool there's some hunters out here and kind of intrigued by that and then i started looking at the guys in camo and realized man, it was randy and marcus and i was like holy smokes i better go say hello to these guys since i've been uh, watching you guys show so much and yeah now now i'm tagging along i've made a couple trips back with you back to southeast alaska to film a couple bear hunts now so yeah it's funny how things work out we we went out, we shot our bears in two days, and we got back early, and we went salmon fishing at, there's some place, there's like a hatchery in Petersburg. Yeah. And Sam, I don't know, I don't know if this is, you you know the street cred and the, and the taboos of, of fishing, but the locals were like, well, those are hatchery kings, Chinooks, we, we aren't going to fish those. I'm like, well, wait a second. I can get two a day and four a season or something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. So we went down to, I think Jensen's is where you rent fishing gear in Petersburg. And, uh, so we went down, we caught a couple of them and came back that afternoon. And Jace was walking back from his work at the forest service. And I saw him walking across the street. I'm like, Hey, you want to go fishing? He's like, well, I, I got to work tomorrow. I'm like, well, we'll come get you after work. So he went fishing with us at the next day. He probably had thought, man, these guys are nuts. Eh? I'm not sure about these guys, but uh, so. Hey, folks, we're in the middle of application season, and you know what I use for applications, right? For draw odds, for filtering, for strategy articles. It's the big sponsor of this platform, Go Hunt. If you want to have that tool available to you before application season ends, go out there now, sign up, use promo code RANDY, And when you do, they're going to put $50 of credit in your gear shop account. And mostly, you're going to have the information you need to draw that tag and go hunting this year. GoHunt.com, promo code Randy. Nosler Ammunition is the official ammunition of Hunt Talk Radio and every other platform that we produce. Nosler was founded in 1948 by John Nosler. And over that time, Nosler Ammunition has proven time and again why so many hunters and shooters trust Nosler. 
Whether it's Nosler bullets, components, or their premium grade ammunition, Nosler's reputation at quality shines through. We shoot exclusively Nosler E-tips, Acubons, and partitions in all of our rifles. And all of those can be found at Nosler.com or look for them at fine retailers near you. The Hunt Talk Radio podcast is brought to you by Mystery Ranch Backpacks. For years, I've been using Mystery Ranch Packs. It might be the Metcalf or the Beartooth, the Sawtooth or the Pintler. No matter which Mystery Ranch pack you choose, here's how you can save 10% on your purchase. Go to the Go Hunt gear shop, gohunt.com, put a Mystery Ranch pack in your cart, and when you check out using promo code RANDY, you're going to save 10% off that pack and most of the other regular priced items in your cart. Mr. Ranch backpacks. Can't beat them. Go check them out. But what's the deal with no one wanting to catch hatchery fish? Is that like, is, is that like high fence hunting or something? Or Oh, man, it's, uh, it's, it's complicated. And, and I'm probably the wrong person to ask about it because I'll, I'll talk your ear off. I wrote, I wrote my master's thesis about uh, salmon and steelhead hatcheries and the, you know, interesting effects that's had on wild fisheries. Um, mm. You know, they're often smaller. Um, they're often easier to catch because they all sort of pile up at the mouth of the hatchery and yep. you just sort of go get them there. Yep. So people, some people do look down upon them. It's a, it is a different thing. I've heard people say uh, hatchery steelhead versus wild steelhead is like poodles versus wolves. <laughs> <laughs> they, become, they become somewhat domesticated after multiple generations of selective artificial breeding um but hey I, I still love fishing for hatchery kings and hatchery steelhead when i'm back home in washington because it provides opportunity and you can usually harvest those ones where you can't the the wild ones so both are great in my mind and both are a big big part of the management and opportunities in uh, all of the Pacific states. Well, we knocked them on the head. If anyone was offended yes, by I'm... that, this is funny. We go down there with our Mystery Ranch Metcalf packs, and we got 50 pounds <laughs> of salmon in the back of them. We're, we're hiking back across the tide flat, and we got these great big Chinook tails sticking out the top of our Metcalfs. I thought it was kind of cool, but uh, that anyhow, cool. That's, a, that's a side note. That, that, that was a bear hunt that went so easy but it rained so hard. I don't know how we even saw any bears. And then as quick as we got back to Petersburg, we're done. It got nice. And, you know, I fully prepared myself for this hunt. Well, it's going to be wet and rainy again, but I'm going to laugh because I'm going to be staying on this boat that Frank has. And like Jim said, it was so nice. We thought we were in Florida or something. But uh, I think it was overcast the first day. Oh yeah, it was over. There were a couple clouds the first day. Yeah, yeah. And I then uh, a little tan, so my wife was wondering where I was. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then Jim brought bison. Didn't we serve you bison, Frank? The first, yeah, was first night. Right. Yeah, and uh, you know, Jim, we've looked at the footage of that bear that Jason and I snuck on the first night. That was a great big one. That was a dandy bear. And I, we were, what, 15 minutes from the boat? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I, I didn't 
I didn't realize it was that big. And I turned to Jace. I said, look, if I'm going to shoot the first bear we see, we got to make this the world's best stock because the audience is going to feel like they got ripped off. So we kept going and going and going. And now I see Jace's footage. It's like he's got me and the bear in the same clip without having to zoom at all. I'm like, oh, boy, we got a little bit too close. I think, what did we get, Jace? 118 yards? You were yeah, worried about just your over 100. It was close. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right, Jim. I was worried about my shooting because I just finished physical therapy from a crazy arm injury that still isn't all functioning. But yeah, so I said I got I need to get close, but I don't know that I needed to get that close. That was man, that was really close. And that was a really big bear. And we we saw more big bears on this trip than probably any trip we've ever been on. Uh, you know, the, the the one day we came back to the boat and Frank already has like three or four bears walking the beach there looking at us like, wait, wait, why you guys leave the boat? They're right here. <laughs> it's crazy how many bears we saw. Is, is that normal, Jim? I mean, you live up there. You, it's, I, it's, it becoming, normal. it's becoming normal. So the, the population is definitely increasing over what it had been after when it crashed in the, in the early 2000s. So really, Jim, were we about when we were anchored in that cove? Were we over a mile away when we scoped that bear, and you could see him? That one where you and I were on the back of the deck, and those guys were out hunting. You and I could see that one clear down at the back of that thing. Yeah, you could tell from that far away that he caught the wind and sniffed us. And I think we saw that particular bear like two or three times, uh, either in that cove or directly over on the other side of that finger. When we were out on the other side, we saw a similar sized bear uh, really close, just right over the, the point from where you and I saw it. So, Jim, when, yeah. you, when you, you say that that population crashed, that's why they put a lot of these hunts for non-residents on a draw only, correct? That's correct. Yeah, it was a change, change in man, management, I think, in 2013, 2012, somewhere along in there. Uh, they went to a draw only and, and one bear every four regulatory years. Uh, hmm. Or you used to be able to come up and take two bears every year. Wow. Huh. So, so I was the state sealer for Thorn Bay. There's a there was many different sealers on the island, but I did Thorn Bay starting in the mid '90s, and uh, in the early '90s they were shooting something about like uh, maybe 120 to 150 bears a year off of the island between residents and non-residents. Mm-hmm. And that peaked in 2005, where they shot close to 500 bears off of the island that year. So wow. in every one of those years in between, it increased. It got more popular and more popular because it's relatively easy to get here. And it was one you could do unguided. And yeah. there was a lot of bears. Huh. Well, that doesn't spell good news for the age class and the no as a sealer what i saw so the skull sizes had been averaging somewhere close to 19 
And I watched that drop back dramatically between 2005 and, and when I can't remember what year it was that I finally quit being a sealer. Uh, somewhere in the 2012 or something like that. So sort of skull size got smaller and smaller and smaller where like the average skull that I was seeing coming in was in the 16 inch range. And the percentage of population that were females that were being shot went up dramatically. In the spring, uh, originally most of the bears that were taken were boars. Yeah. With a, with a, with a good skull size. And, uh, then that kind of changed where there was a lot more bears shot in the fall. And so mm-hmm. then, then what you have is big bears eating salmon in the stream because like a female mm-hmm. often will leave her cubs up in the timber and just come down and get a fish and take it back up to them. And so I think so, that really hit. So we lost our, we lost our big boars first and then we lost our broodstock. Mm-hmm. And of course wow. with the broodstock comes where to din and how to din and where to fish and all the rest of that knowledge and stuff that's passed on to those cubs. And so to be able to see the number of bears that we saw in the time that we saw and the quality of bears, it was exciting for me to see that age class of bear coming back. And uh, I'm really excited with where the management is going here on Prince of Wales Island and, and definitely seeing that impact to the bear population. Yeah. So when you say sealer, if you shoot a bear in these Southeast islands, you have to take it in to get it quote unquote sealed, right? Yeah. They put a, uh, they pull a tooth, they put a, like they a, take a hide, a hide tag and a skull tag. They take a tissue sample, they pull the tooth, and then sometimes the I would do other measurements, like Tessa did measurements on the hide, noted the color if it had the white patch knots. There was a, there were a bunch of different things. And so through time, there was different samples you had to take and stuff like that. Uh, I would also, even though I was no way regulatory, uh, I would note if it was a lactating female. Mm. Uh, and so you had this form that you filled out and then all of that was sent in and every single bear was aged. And then the hunter would get a letter from the state saying your bear was X years old. Yeah. About a year afterwards. Okay. And so I would take all those samples and stuff and weekly send them back over to ADF and G and Hitchcock. Hmm. Well, I know some people probably are disappointed that non-residents, non-guided non-residents got put on a quota, but I think it's what you had to do. I think it's making a big difference. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just, and so controlling how many bears are taken off of here and stuff. And I think they're down now to where it's, oh, mainly under 200 a year or something like Hmm. that. Yeah. It fluctuates with availability of people coming and going. Yeah, and that's pretty much been applied to all of the islands in the southeast part, correct? QU, Cooperdale, well, Prince Well, QU Wales. started the registration hunt and and a registration hunt, and then it became something you had to apply for. But with okay. a registration hunt, they could also shut it off if they had an X or the harvest was reached, which actually put 
a little bit of more pressure on Prince of Wales Island. So if you're a guide and you got clients coming and that quota is getting close on QU, you're not going to take your clients to QU. So Hmm. During that transition, that was putting a little more pressure on Prince of Wales before Prince of Wales followed suit with uh, the registration, like or not registration, with the draw hunts like we have now. Hmm. Well, I'm fascinated by the place. I, you know, I told you guys that I lucked out, and my grandparents lived in Haines, and my grandpa had a halibut longliner, and I thought every teenager got to go to Alaska and spend three months fishing off a longliner. And uh, I found out that not every teenager gets to do that. So uh, for me, that was a life-changing event. It uh, buried the needle as far as my fascination for boats, for the ocean, and and for Southeast Alaska. So anytime I can find a reason to go back, I usually go back, whether it's fishing, bear hunting. The whole problem tail. now with this boat thing is the bar has been set so high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Not only did we yeah. get a great boat, but we got a great skipper out of the deal, mm-hmm. and, and I just don't know yeah. how you're going to surpass this, no. Randy. I, I know. So we just got to fess up, Jim. Frank, this is where we're, we're probably going to embarrass you, but this is like the Taj Mahal of bear camps. I, I mean... Did any of us get a raindrop while we were there? Nope. No rain. No rain. Frank Frank fished off the back while we were out hunting. We had a grill on there, so we grilled bison. I think we grilled Jim grilled some Sitka blacktail one night. I mean, we ate like kings. And I thought, man, this pretty boat here, Frank, if I drag this bloody bear hide on here, Frank's going to be like, Randy, you, you better get this boat cleaned up. Frank's like, no, just flop it down right there and get her all cleaned up. And so we made kind of a mess of your boat, Frank. That's what they're uh, built for. We've got a lot of owners who three of them every summer go up to uh, Kodiak on a bear trip. Okay. Well. We we made a mess of it. Sorry about that, but it, it worked out really good. That's what. Well, the the built-in hose makes that pretty easy to handle. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it cleans up real nice. And then the fact that somebody had put a freezer down in the hold. I, I don't know. It does it does it come with that, or was that just like you guys saying, "Hey, we're going to be shooting some bears and catching some salmon, so and halibut, so we better put a freezer in here." What what's a lot the deal? Our guys put freezers. They'll put fish processing centers where they can fillet and portion, backpack, drop them in the freezer. Wow, well, that's what we did. I I mean, as warm as it was, that bear, I would have been worried about it spoiling other than after I shot my bear and Jim and Jace went to go find this, like, Methuselah of a bear. I, that that bear, I think he was born during the probably Nixon administration or something. It was so old. But, and uh, Frank and I just sat on the boat. Uh, waiting for the report and uh, in the interim i process i processed my entire bear out on out on the boat and then we threw it in the freezer and i didn't have to worry about it spoiling i feel kind of talking about spoiling i mean we we were really <laughs> spoiled when people see the footage it, it's it's not the norm for us but i don't think any of the three of us complained 
No, you don't pass up Man. those type of offers. <laughs> <laughs> Jace says that because when it's raining, he's got to worry about charging batteries, keeping cameras from getting destroyed by rain. And we got to sleep down in a nice, comfortable bed, had power on board. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. You'll find courses by my buddy Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, me, Hank Shaw, John Barklow, Jamie Teagan, and the list is growing and growing. And here's the other cool part. My buddy Corey, who founded the University of Elk Hunting course, the popular course that is everything known about elk hunting, his course is now part of your subscription to Outdoor Class. So, all for one subscription, at one price, you get all of the Outdoor Class courses, plus Corey's University of Elk Hunting. Go to OutdoorClass.com, use promo code RANDY when you sign up, and you're going to save 20%. This will be great information for any hunter. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class, an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. Outdoor Class now includes the University of Elk Hunting course from my buddy Corey Jacobson. All these courses in one single subscription at one price. Go to OutdoorClass.com and use promo code RANDY to save 20% when you sign up. This is great information for any hunter at any level. The Hunt Talk Radio podcast is also presented by our wonderful friends at Mountain Tough. If you're like me and you want to hunt until you're 80, or maybe you just want to keep up with the younger folks or your kids later in life, you need to start focusing on your health and your nutrition. It's never too late to get started. I just started and I'm 59. And yeah, I should have started 20 years ago, but I've made that commitment and the Mountain Tough app makes it so easy. So if you want to invest in your health and your hunting, start your free trial today. Go to mountaintough.com and when you sign up for the free trial, they're going to give you 14 days free. But when you sign up and use promo code RANDY, they're going to add an extra 30 days onto that free trial when you select the monthly plan. Hunt hard, rest easy. What was that, Frank? (laughs) Hunt hard, rest easy. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Well, Randy, I'll I'll never forget the look in your eye when when we were talking about Prince of Wales last fall. I said, do you you have a bear bear hunt coming up? there next year you're like yeah and i was like well would you want to go do it on a yacht <laughs> you just <laughs> so taken aback and <laughs> what do you mean i'm like well I'll work with this boat company and we're gonna have a boat up there and you're like well boy i don't think i could say no to that <laughs> yeah so folks that's how this came about i was out at sam's office doing a podcast with him and ben and somehow we got to talking about what's on, you know, what are, what's our plans for 2023? And I said, well, I got this bear tag up in Alaska. And Sam asked me, and I thought, I'll be honest, Sam, I thought you were kind of jerking my chain. I'm like, 
I, I got the feeling that you did. I was dead serious. <laughs> uh, I know. And so I called Jim. I'm like, hey, Jim, you know, the, these guys with Lindale boats, they, they want us to hunt from their boat when we're up there. What do you think of that? And I think it took Jim maybe a half a second to say damn right or something to that effect. I said, I hope you already accepted that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I said, we both put our times into wet tents, coming home wet and damp and getting in a wet tent. Yeah. So, Frank, do a lot of of your boat owners hunt? I would say 99% of our guys are, as soon as fishing season's done, they're either at moose camp, hunting doll sheep. Huh. Doing something. Deer. We we ran that boat up from Seattle alongside an, an owner named Ryan Bloom, who was just featured on a on a TV show on his on his boat where they caught a two hundred pound halibut. But I ran up with him a cup uh, one of the days, and he's like, "Yeah, I got my elk tag in Montana, my brown bear tag on Unimac." my doll sheep tag in the Alaska range. And I'm going to be on Kodiak for deer. And just like he had his entire hunting season, like down to the hour. And this was in May. Um, And and I've gotten that from a lot of the, a lot of the owners I've got to, got to meet. This is, this is a boat built for that kind of adventure. You know, we're talking about it, how fancy and, and comfortable it is. And it is, you know, very comfortable, but it's also, extremely rugged and capable and you know if it had been blowing sideways and big seas and hairy weather you know it would have been you guys would have been able to do the same kind of stuff and so i think that really attracts the our kind of people to this product yeah ryan bloom who sam's uh speaking of he likes to fish out at montague island which can get really hairy but that's his playground he goes out for trophy halibut and many times he's been crossing the gulf in 15 20 foot seas <laughs> uh, no thanks as someone who had to do that occasionally long lining and we were in a 73 foot boat even in a 73 foot boat that's like dicey you're like what the hell am i doing out here yeah, I think Ryan wanted to be a Brahma bull rider when he was a kid. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I think that's interesting. We talked to you about that when we were up there, Frank. Is I think a lot of people feel that oh, if someone buys a boat like this, it's gonna kind of just sit in a harbor and they're gonna entertain people on it. Your people, they're like, no, we buy these to beat the hell out of them and use them and hunt and fish. Yeah, our guys are real rugged outdoorsmen, and they like to be at the helm for their own adventures yeah <clears throat> i talked to one of the guys recently who's uh taking his from he left seattle bound for panama and his final destination is either houston or connecticut he hasn't made up his mind yet whoa <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well. on some of these models they're they're getting 700 miles range on one tank oh. of gas or yeah. we're bringing out a new model that's a 51 length overall 1250 gallon fuel capacity and we designed it a lot around ryan bloom's adventures up crossing the gulf and out in montague so we're gonna aptly name that model the montague 
Huh. <laughs> he'll, have, he'll have an easy thousand mile range on that boat. Wow. That's 30 miles. That's crazy. That, how fast? Yeah, I mean, he gets from, he gets from, see, he keeps his boat in Seattle over the winter and then, then Seward in the summer. And he gets from Seattle to Seward in what, Frank, four days typically until he, unless he bangs up a prop. Right. Which typically happens because he runs flat out in the middle of the night. (laughs) Is that the guy, Frank, you were telling us he he was going across the Gulf and some of those shipping containers had fallen off a ship and he ran over it? He's the guy, yep, hit a submerged 40 foot container. Oh, ouch. Uh, I wonder if AAA would come and tow you in. <laughs> uh, well, Sam, weren't you guys up there fishing just before we got up there? Because Southeast Alaska, it's almost like if you go up, you should you should just make it a two-weeker and add fishing or crabbing or something to your bear hunt. Yeah, absolutely. And we sure did. And that was, that was why it worked out so well. Um, yeah, Frank and I, myself and uh, Lindell's chief engineer, Mark Fritzer, ran up from their boathouse in Laconner, Washington, up to, up to Craig uh, in two and a half days um, to film and fish with Rob Ensley, who is a charter captain and uh just general personality from the northwest fishing scene i i grew up listening to him on the radio um in seattle he had a a a radio show uh called the outdoor line um and i got to know him over the years he's just a he's a huge dude and just larger than life personality um and you know friend of friend of frank's and the all the lindell guys and just a fishy dude as they come so we we went up and filmed with him for a week, trolling for Chinook, jigging for halibut and lingcod and rockfish. We got to uh, we got to go out with some friends of his, uh, Heather and Mike Duville, who are uh, Flinket tribal mm-hmm. members, and we fished with their hand carved wooden hooks. Yeah, called it's I, I, I'm gonna get the pronunciation wrong, but it's spelled N A X W. Um, and they, 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 you know, it's two different types of wood. It's got a, a barb on it or on the top and they wrap it in octopus. We caught a hundred pound halibut on a hand line with a 10,000 year old technology on, you know, the, <laughs> the, the bleeding edge of boating technology. <clears throat> um, and then we also uh, went and hiked a bunch of, steelhead creeks around prince of wales and it's uh minor islands and went, went and did some fly fishing and ended up getting into them in the third creek that we walked um so we we did a a pretty cool series of films from that um, which you can find on uh lindellyachts.com um really enjoyed enjoyed doing that and profiling rob because he's just you know somebody a lot of people look up to and has just a great perspective on sporting life. And he has two young daughters who, you know, charter with him and, uh, and help him run his operation all summer. And, uh, so it was, it was really cool to, to highlight, you know, his, you know, enduring adventurousness, but also kind of being a, being a young dad keeping that, keeping all that going. Yeah. Well, 
the connection that you just made there through all this is Heather, who is uh, Duville. Uh, yeah. She got a hold of me while we were up there. My, well, here's one thing. I know that Verizon doesn't work on these islands up there. So I got Verizon. Jim, Jim's got AT&T. Jace has AT&T. So everybody's talking and texting except for me. Yeah, well, except Heather, for me too. Yeah, Heather sees us in the parking lot and she's somehow, I think she got a hold of Jim or something and said, I think I saw you guys. I wanted to say hi, but I didn't want to da-da-da. So I got a hold of her, and I did a podcast with her in August about those fish hooks you're talking about and just how she's doing all this stuff to try teach or learn and, and continue to teach all these Tlingit traditions about hunting and fishing and food gathering and stuff. So that podcast launched in September, and it's been our most commented podcast of the entire year mm. by, by a mile. She's right. that fascinating. So mm-hmm. her dad, Mike, is he, he tells Heather, he's like, I'm not doing a podcast, whatever that is. <laughs> so he listens to the podcast and he tells Heather, call him. I want to do one of those podcast things. <laughs> so tomorrow at four o'clock, I'm doing a podcast with Heather and Mike because I want to hear oh. Mike's perspective of all this stuff. Oh, he's so, he has a great perspective. Like that is truly a guy who has lived that subsistence lifestyle for his entire life. You know, his, his background is, is incredible. Um, and yeah, just such a kind and welcoming person, both of them, please give them my best. I, I, I can't say enough nice things about them. Yeah. Well, it, it was really interesting. So, uh, Heather and I got on this topic about how she does fur stuff and a lot of the locals there do fur and seals and, you know, and sea otter and stuff and how the Marine Mammal Protection Act has kind of been a negative for them and their food sources. And I'm like, yeah, I was telling her the story about how I trap beaver here and I walk into the coffee shop in the wintertime with my beaver hat on and people look at me like I'm, you know, some sort of wing nut or, you know, some eccentric sort of dude she's like well if i made you a a sea otter hat would you wear it to the coffee shop i'm like i couldn't get down to the coffee shop quick enough if i had one of those (laughs) so she texted me yesterday with a picture of it she's like it's going in the mail tomorrow i want to see you wearing this so she made i haven't seen it yet she made me a, a sea otter hat that she wants me to wear around Bozeman. So <laughs> oh, they're, beautiful. they're beautiful. I got to see a few of those. Um, it's incredible work she does with those furs. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it and, uh, should, should be cool. Um, but anyhow, back to, to this bear hunt, uh, you know, this bear I shot, Frank, I, I and well, first of all, I, I owe you another thank you for coming to the beach and help you and Jim helping me and Jace pack it out uh, because that bear was not a one tripper uh, for two guys. Uh, that would have required a couple trips for two guys. So for you and Jim to come and help us. But uh, one of the things you might have heard me comment on is how mild that bear smelled. Sometimes spring bears can get a little bit rank. And I have eaten some of it. And I have no idea if this guy just lived in a blueberry patch or what the deal is, but it's the most mild, sweet spring bear I've ever eaten by. Well, it's the only real mild 
berry smelling spring bear I've ever had. I, I I don't know, Jim, is that just a function of good luck or I think it's a function uh, of good luck. What he was eating when he <laughs> how long he'd been at, out of the den and what he chose as food sources immediately coming out of the den. Okay. How when do they usually den down in there? I mean, how long are they in? Well, depends on the snow year. Uh, so somewhere in, in the end of October, first part of November, they usually go to one of their dens that they, they've constructed on north-facing hillsides and stuff like that, depending how long the snow st- kind of stays. Uh, when they start getting wet in the den, when things are melting, that's usually what kicks them out, unless they get disturbed okay. somewhere. Uh, okay, because you, look, you looked at the paws of the bear I shot, and you said this bear hadn't been out of the den very long. He had inch and a half to two inch long hair between his claws, and none of the tips of that hair was even broken off. So he couldn't have walked a great distance. And we had a long, protracted winter last year, and the snow persisted a lot longer. So maybe he had the perfect den site, and it stayed in there longer. It's hard to believe that he hadn't been out for a month when we found him, but there was no indication of any rub on him or anything on him. He was a perfect hide. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jace would agree, this is the most photogenic bear that we've ever had. Wait, I think I sensed, Maybe I sent all of you a draft. I don't know if I sent you a draft of all of them, but in the final version, we're going to put a clock in the upper corner of the of the screen to show people just how long that bear sat out there in front of us before we finally shot him. Jason and I are looking at each other like, "Well, is he ever going to stand up? Is he is he going to because he laid there in the grass like." He was too lazy to stand on his feet to eat his grass. He laid on his side. Like, have you ever seen some dogs will eat their, their, their like, little kibbles laying on their belly or on their side? That's what this bear did for 45 minutes. And Jason and I are, like, back and forth, like, oh, okay, if he stands up, I'm going to shoot him. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> and so I, it was it was fascinating. I, I could not believe that that. That bear did that, and uh, I guess when they they behave that way, they just want to be a video stars. All I can figure, and uh, so who are we not to oblige his wish, right? <laughs> and uh, I'll be interested to get the the tooth back on that. Uh, haven't got it yet. Uh, should be getting it any day, I think, or any week. I dropped it off out at Matson's. Uh, I I don't know how old the bear like that would be, Jim, and all the ceiling you did you any ballpark well, estimate it's so hard to like? estimate that without actually doing the, the work on aging those teeth you know yeah. i i put him definitely over seven or eight years old something like that probably okay he didn't have That's a lot of tooth wear no i didn't so he might actually be he might be a little bit younger than that but i doubt it actually one of the nice things too about the hunt we were on is the bears really wouldn't show themselves to about 10 o'clock in the morning so we didn't get to have to get up at over 30 (laughs) (laughs) we could have coffee coffee and breakfast and gingerly get into the boat and go in search of bears 
Yeah, we'd wake up and Frank had already have the coffee going. I mean, that that is the epitome of spoiled. I am never going to have another bear hunt like that, Frank. I, <laughs> I, that's why we're kind of relishing it right now. It's like, you know, you did it once. You better enjoy oh, it, Newberg. We need to plan another one, Randy. Oh, well, if that's a, an invitation, uh, <laughs> Jim and I did talk off camera. You know, if Frank ever offers this again, we'd be fooled not to say yes. Well, one of our owners, he's, he's uh, in line to start a new 48 uh, in June of 2024. He currently has a 46, and the last bear he got up on Kodiak was a 20-year-old, 10-and-a-half-foot. Whoa. It was a big bear. Yeah. Huh. Well, if ever there's a boat up there, uh, trust me, I don't, I've slept in enough forest service cabins that have rats and mice and I've slept on enough beaches and, and, um, you know, got soaked and, you know, by the time you, you do one of those hunts, you're in your waders for six or seven days nonstop. It rains every day. You look at, you know how your fingers get when you do dishes, <laughs> You take your when you get back to civilization. You take your boots off, and your your entire foot looks like that. Not just the end of your toes. <laughs> You're like looking for slugs and clams, and you know barnacles growing on you or something. It's so wet. But so you know, it, Jace is paying attention to this because Jace and I actually have bear tags up there again for next year. So so do I. Uh, oh, you do, Sam. I do really. Well, mm-hmm. off camera, we'll talk about what island it is, and uh, maybe maybe we'll have to. Yeah, we'll we'll come along. We'll clean the boat. We'll we'll do whatever. <laughs> we'll we'll pay for the gas. So. Deckhand. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You, you name it. <laughs> yeah, let's coordinate. I'm excited about we'll it. Coordinate with Bill Shields and and take his 46. There'll be a little more room. Oh, yeah, there you uh, go. Perfect. I don't know. That that'd be even more luxury there. We already surpassed more camo per capita on one of our boats than <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, I I guess the the beauty and a big part of the fun of all this was just sitting around telling stories and everybody all of us had these unique perspectives about Alaska and Southeast Alaska. And I, I always say it's the most accessible wild place to the lower 48. It, it's, it's not as difficult to get there as a lot of people think it is. And once you get there, there's a lot of things to do. If you like outdoors. Now, if you want to, maybe Jim knows where the opera and the golf courses oh, sure. are, but I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't, there, there is a golf course north of Haynes out out by Mosquito Lake, out at Chilcat Lake. I think that's the only no, golf no, course I'm aware of. Wrangell has a golf yeah. course. Well, I, now I knew why I didn't hang out in Wrangell. They got <laughs> golf courses and shit like that. Yeah, but uh, there's just so much to do there. Like Jason and I are talking, and and maybe this would be what's in your mind, Sam. You know, we were thinking of the steelhead, right? That's a little that's what earlier. I'm always thinking like, about. Yeah, that's like mid-May. We usually do the bear hunt in, in the later part of May, so you, that's kind of tailing off. But uh, if you want to go a little later, you know, like the first week of June, the bear hunting, the boars are out, and now you're starting to get into some of the better salmon fishing or some of the halibut fishing. <laughs> it's like 
Remember, this year's supposed to be El Nino. So we're going to be warmer and wetter, and the snow's going to come off sooner. Oh. Oh. So you're saying we should come in mid-May instead of Maybe. Just have to watch the weather to see what happens. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Well, for anybody who's interested in applying for a bear tag, December 15th is the deadline. And that's not December 15th and you get to go in. So December 15th, 2023 is the deadline for Alaska Game and Fish control. What do you guys call them, Jim? Controlled hunts or something like that? Limited entry hunts, whatever you want to call it. Well, you're applying for the spring bear hunt of 2025. The spring bear hunt for 2024, that drawing was back in December of 2022. So a lot of people miss this. And uh, if you miss it now, we told you, it's your own fault. So heck with them. And make the draw odds better. We should give them a wrong date, like December. Oh, it's Christmas. <laughs> the deadline or something. But uh, kind of lead them astray. But if you want to get the full details on that, we do a video on it on our YouTube channel. Uh, the group we work with that does the platform that we do all of our research with, Go Hunt, they do strategy articles on that. And they'll drop their Alaska strategy article sometime in late November. And they'll have the draw odds for every species, every unit in Alaska. So if you want to go out there, check it out and go to Go Hunt. Uh, and being the tightwad, if you want to save some money, use promo code Randy and you'll get $50 or store credit back. But uh, whatever you do, don't miss the deadline. Otherwise, you're going to be standing on the dock watching as we go by bear hunt and we'll be waving at you from the Lindell boat like, hey, folks. Should should shouldn't have missed the deadline. So, uh, but there's no deadline. There's no draws or anything for fishing or crabbing or restrictions like that, is there? Nope. Just just gotta uh, purchase the uh, or blacktail hunting or blacktail. Yeah, you can do that without. There's no draws on any of the deer, are there, no, Jim? No, no, no. Hey, did you guys know that Jim has drawn two bison tags in Alaska? You gotta apply. I apply every year. I do too. Clean living, Jim. It must be the beard or something. I see Sam's trying to catch up with you on the beard, but he's got about twenty years to go <laughs> to get to you. But I even drew the same. I, that was even the same tag twice. Which yeah. one was it? It was the uh, farewell. Oh, okay. The one. Uh, how how far? South Fork of the Kuskokwim. Yeah. You guys floated how many days, Jim? We were on there 12 days. Hmm. What fascinates me is the ice cream that you guys got at the native village when you got there. At what the end, it? the caribou uh, whipped with berries. Oh, my God, that was so good. Mm-hmm. Caribou right. fat whipped with berries. Yep. Oh, it you was said it just like ice cream. I shared that I shared some of yeah. our bison with uh, one of the elders there, and she sent that down for us to have breakfast with fresh, fresh uh, moose jerky. Hmm. Dang! I bet Mike and Kendall could fix you up with some of that, Randy. Oh, she was telling me about they they make this cheese stuff out of fish eggs, something cheese. She told me. 
I'm like, Heather, I, I don't think I could do it, man. I, I just, uh, I watched her make it. If you go out to her video, what is it? Or her Instagram page, AK Moosey, I think is Heather's yeah. um, Instagram. And she taught the process of how they make this. I think they called it cheese, right? You know, like fish cheese or something. I just, Heather, I, I, I'd hate to offend <laughs> you by not trying the local goods, but I, I just don't know if I could do it. Oh, have you guys tried it? Yeah, some of that stuff is pretty far out. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't try that. She brought a bunch of a bunch of goodies out there for us, but I think it was sort of, uh, sort of the mild beginner level um, <laughs> <laughs> blanket uh, treats. Um, but yeah, they they make some they make some incredible things all with the herring eggs and the the seal fat and the oh man, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm a lot of wild stuff. Yeah, well, I'm. Uh, I I don't want to offend anybody. I mean, I had a friend up there brought some. What do they call it? Nuck-tuck whale fat. And uh, me and whale fat. I never thought I was going to eat whale blubber, but I tried that. And then he said he could tell I wasn't. I hadn't yet acquired the taste. He said, "Here, try it with the seal oil. Seal oil is foul." I, I don't know how else to say it. That has got to be an acquired taste. But you guys ever try it? I did. You did, Jim? What'd you think? Oh, I've, I've tried whale blubber. Yeah. What'd you think? I The one I tried was it tasted like congealed salt water. It, it was like very unoffensive. Oh, really? The one I had was real fishy and it. I felt like I'd ate string cheese wrapped or dunked in Vaseline or something. It was really oily and greasy. I, <laughs> but once I swallowed it, my entire body, I felt like I was burning up. I felt like someone turned the heat up to like 85 degrees or something. That must be the amount of energy and all that fat or something. That's near as I could figure. But uh, so, well, I am, uh, I, I'm waiting for people to, to comment on this this hunt. And one, the quality of the bears we saw, Jim, I, I, we, we, I don't need to tag, but we got to go back and find that one that you let go. You, I could have handed you the Hawa and you could have shot that thing at 200 <laughs> yards. That was a big bear. <laughs> yeah. And I forgot how big it was until Jace, Jace's clip that he took mm -hmm. that night. Yeah, it was like when I ran back out and got you from the boat, and I said, "You got to come see this thing." Yeah. I was like, "I should have been running for the <laughs> to, gun." Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, uh, so if if you want to try shoot that bear this year, I'm more than happy to hang around and and join you <laughs> and and film it. That that, that thing it, it it was hard to believe it was a black bear, but. I'm sure it was. I mean, it was black. And there's one. There's one point there in the footage, Jay Scott, where it turns, and like its head, neck, body, and everything is like the same diameter all the way back. It was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I don't know, Frank and and Sam, have you guys seen that part of the episode yet? With that great big bear that Jim was that on episode three? Chase, yeah, is that yeah, is that it episode on episode three? three? If I remember correctly, yep. I've seen one and two, but I'm real excited for three now. Oh, 
Yeah, I think right. it sat on your laptop, Jace, when you brought it back to the boat. Yeah, right after you filmed it. Yeah, yeah that monster. was a special bear. Yeah, <laughs> and it yeah. would have been he. epic if it were to work worked out. The next two days, Jim and I sat in that uh, estuary, and the way Jim was laying in the grass with his hawk in, like if that bear would have came out, it would have been the sub fifty yard encounter. It would have been the most epic scene I, I could have ever witnessed probably <laughs> it was Damn. it would have been close yeah because he had came out of that creek up onto that plateau that i was lying behind yeah well and, uh, it sounds to me like at the end of episode three we should say to be continued <laughs> and the audience just has to wait another year i'm just might have to sneak down there with the boat and anchor it up and just live in that little edge of timber right there for a couple of days. I'd be all in on that. I, I, uh, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe he won't. Do, do they come back to the same areas every year? I don't know. Don't, don't know. Okay. Well, maybe you find it. the one that was in my, the one that I shot twice. Yeah. Came back to the exact same spot one year to the day. Yeah, yeah. This we that skull we put, that was fractured. Yeah, we put that in the episode, right, Jace? Yeah, yeah. That yeah story we talked about Jim in the first episode. It's, it's that's an awesome story. <laughs> yeah, that's a humongous bear. Giant. I yeah. I was surprised that the one I shot, his teeth weren't very like you said, Jim weren't very worn. But when the Tessa was that her name? Who who? Checked yeah, it in. Yeah. Came, came in came in with like 20 and 5 sixteenths or something like that and I'm like, oh, I never, never didn't think that would be the case but uh oh, was a big bear. <laughs> yeah and the hide is perfect i mean everything about it the meat is perfect i uh I should probably get some meat specialties made to, for Frank and Sam from that bear and well you know that was sure. There were three bears right there that were huge. That that other yeah. one that Jace filmed that was off mm-hmm. to the side that we saw for two days, that was also a really big boar. Yeah. So the one you shot, the bear that was off to the west, and then that giant one that came out close to where you shot yours. Yeah. Sounds to me like since I don't have the tag and I can't get the tag for – this spring, Jim, sounds like we need to send you in there with the hawking. <laughs> Just set up camp. Set up camp or climb up one of those trees, put a tree stand up in there and wait. Do people do that? I don't know. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. Why not? Yeah. Uh, sure, of course, I, I, I hate, I don't have that much patience. <laughs> That's tough stuff. <laughs> yeah, but you you think you could call a, a big boar like that with your distressed deer call that you often use? I Jim? have, and we tried it, but kind of like we talked about there, you know, there could have been, it was getting late enough in the month that there could have been one female go by there and that boar took off after her or. Yeah. Who never, knows? To, never to be seen again, at least not for a few weeks until he gets yeah. his bus- yeah. business taken care of. Because when's the mating season there? Like the first two weeks of June? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think a lot of people don't realize that's when bears are in the quote unquote rut. And uh, when when we had super high numbers of bears in the nineties and stuff, the bears that you would see during that period, these boars would just appear from I don't know where they'd been hiding. These giant, giant bears that I've seen a I've seen three in the taxidermy shop that used to be over at Craig on uh, two four by eight sheets of plywood as a salting table with the nose and the claws and the tails hanging over the edge of two pieces of plywood. So they squared wow. without being stretched, being drawn up by the salt. They squared way over eight feet. <laughs> That's huge. Uh, well, uh, Sam, in all your travels to Alaska. What, what, what's your favorite trip? You got you got a story you want to tell us about Alaska? Boy, I mean, it'd be it'd be pretty hard to beat this this particular one where we got that boat up there and did all the things we did um, in terms of fun. And I I commercial fished on a on a salmon purse saner out of Cordova for a long time and four seasons in college, and so. All sorts of all sorts of wild stuff happened when we were out there catching salmon sharks and watching uh, killer whales attacking humpback whales and you know you name it boats sinking boats getting rammed <laughs> uh, but man <laughs> when you when you mentioned that earlier the 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 craziest one that comes to mind is like is barely in my memory since I think I was three years old. My, uh, my dad, um, both my parents are from Indiana, his best friend from high school and college married a sorority sister of my mom's. They had a son three months before I was born, who's named after my father's my best friend to this day. Um, but they used to have an operation out of Sitka. Hmm. And when I was a very small child, we were up there uh, visiting them, I think for Thanksgiving or something like that. And they had a new boat and they took it out of Sitka out around Cruise Off Island, I believe, but I could be wrong about that. And left me and my sister and Jacob and his brother with a babysitter. Um, they, they went diving for king crab. They speared some lingcod, did some fishing. Um, they didn't, the 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 fuel gauge said it was full all day until it came unstuck <laughs> on this new boat and said it was empty and um they were able to like put and drift into some cove and were able to run aground somehow and then the tide went out and the boat went on its side um, and they were stuck there without a sat phone or really any way to contact the outside world other than a radio. But I think they were kind of outside of radio range. Um, and they they spent a night and most of a day out there run aground eating chunks of lingcod over a, a stove they made out of a beer can. <laughs> Um, you know, still all wet from scuba diving and in a big storm. And, um, 
It turned out that our babysitter's boyfriend or husband worked for the Coast Guard. And when when they didn't come back at the the normal time, and she's got four little kids on her hands, she's like, well, I think they're probably in trouble. Um, and so that, that put out the alert, and they, um, I think, went out to where toward where they had told them they were going and they were able to locate them and bring them fuel and, and get them back to their babies. Um, Uh. so, you know, that, that's, uh, I've been lucky to get to spend a lot of time in Alaska from before I can remember. And somebody asked me the other day, how many times I'd been to Alaska. I was like, I don't know, 25. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's just, yeah, real special place to me. Sitka, in particular, as well as Cordova, one of my best friends lives on Kodiak. And so I've been there a bunch. Um, it's just a, it's a real wild place and, um, got to be careful when you're there. Cause it, it's, uh, sneaks up on you. It's big, crazy country. Um, yeah. but you know, I think it's some of the, some of the best stuff we got in, in, as Americans. And I encourage everyone I know to see it at least once. Yeah. But, it's like a lot of things in life. You can't do it just once. If you do it, nope. if you do it once, you're, you're, you're like, all right, I, I got to get back here next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, like, it's like two or three times a year for me. <laughs> yeah. Frank, you, you get up there often with the boats? Uh, not with these boats. That was uh, the first trip we took one of ours up to Prince of Wales. I, like Sam, I spent four years during my college years sailing for salmon in southeast and i had a crazy old salt skipper named willie out of anacortes and this reminded me of sam's story this was back in the i don't know if you can see that yeah we can see it the audience camp but there's frank showing us a picture of a boat up on a rock there he was traveling back in the 60s no radar dense fog and it's now uh the stained glass bar back in the sourdough bar in ketchikan <laughs> sitting on rocks you may have seen that jim yeah but uh salmon fishing on a persainer willie used to like to call us girls <laughs> bare ass every morning and he open up the forecastle hatch cover and yell down to us, get up girls. <laughs> yes, we were heading out to noise and doll Island for sockeye coming around Cape shack. And when the storm hit, so we, we uh, thought we were going to go into a cove to set anchor and wait it out. But he said, let's set girls. <laughs> Whoa. Blowing 70. Just wanted to see how we'd react did one set and then stuck our tail between our legs and went. <laughs> oh, uh, no, thanks. We certainly had a few of those where we, we uh, set one out in a storm just because we felt like we had to, cause it was open. And when you're bringing that net in over the power block and it starts to turn into a sail that's dragging, the boat toward the rocks it's like okay well maybe we go anchor up now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's I I guess, picture, you know, my days in there you can see that's a that's that's boats tilted over pretty hard yeah 
with a big old bag of salmon. Huh. Our skipper really loved to roll more than the boat really liked to handle. And it would always redistribute everything inside the the galley and the forecastle and, <laughs> and and the cabin. Just it just be pots and pans covering the floor when we rolled that much fish. But he just wanted to get them on board, slap the net back out. Yeah. No, it's uh, it, it's fun to talk to people who at least had a summer or two of commercial fishing in Alaska. It's uh, if you do it for a summer, you're going to have some stories that are just yeah. And you think about the people who do it for their livelihood. I mean, the the risks and the dangers that they face, and just you know, like it used to be there was an opener, and it was like the the Oklahoma land rush. You know, now they changed a lot of that to the IFQs and everything, and you just go fill your quota rather than risk life and limb because it's open and the wind's blowing 70 and Frank's got to go out there and make a set. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully that's been a... Oh, they still have derby openers for salmon and herring and... Oh, do they? And stuff like that. Yeah, it's oh. still it's still full tilt. I mean, we saw boats get rammed. We saw guns get drawn. It's... Really? It's violent. It's incredible. Huh. But I mean, it's like that's when the fish are there and that's when everybody's there and just kind of just kind of got to go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Our daughter Campbell, when she was 17, uh, Apple didn't fall too far from the tree. She went up and fished two summers in Bristol Bay on a gill netter and hmm. got the good work ethic and still dinner. Yeah. So Bristol Bay is one of those spots that has the derby openers. Yeah. The biggest okay. sock I run on the planet. Well, I guess tomorrow if, if, we're supposed to have sustained 30 to 40 with gusts to 65. Oh. No, thanks. Good day to stay inside. The poor flintlock day to go hunting Sitkas. <laughs> yeah. 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 Are you going out with the Hawking, Jim? I, so, folks, we didn't know if Jim was going to be on the podcast because he emailed me or texted me this morning. And whenever I get a text from Jim in November, it almost always has a black-tailed deer in it. And he texted me, he said, I'm six miles in, I'm soaking wet, and I haven't seen a deer. I might make it for the podcast today. <laughs> so I, I'm i not sure if I was disappointed or excited. I was disappointed I didn't see a, a, a Sitka blacktail picture, but I was excited that you are going to make the podcast today. I saw a buck on the walk-in of the dark. I had two hours in the dark this morning going in. Hmm. This is prime time up there, though, isn't it, Jim? Uh, just crank it up. Okay. It's the next. Ready, the huh? sad thing is this weather is going to keep. Well, I guess it'll keep them down for two days, and then uh, this weekend and through next week, ought to just be hopping. Yeah. Well, people who've watched our content, Jim took me to a, one of his favorite blacktail spots on all of the the southeast alaska landscape and i feel blessed that you took me there jim but the first time we went the weather was beautiful i shot a boone and crockett sika blacktail from pretty much from my tent <laughs> and then the next time we went i didn't see the ridge line because all it did was rain it rained as we left the beach and it rained all five whatever four days that we were up there 
No, we had no, the one, one, one day it broke. That's right. Day the day, yeah, the day that you guys shot those deer. And then we thought we we're going to hang out and find some more. And it rained. And it rained. And it rained. And uh, I want to go do that hunt again, though, someday, Jim. I don't know why. I must be a glutton for punishment. Uh, those of you who have tried to climb from the ocean to the alpine in Alaska, uh, Jim told me and Tyler Johnerson, well, we're going to gain about 12 to 1400 feet, but it'll take six to eight hours. And when Jim wasn't looking, Tyler looked at me and I looked at Tyler and we're like, there's no 1200 feet in North America. That's going to take six to eight hours. Well, about five hours into it, and we'd only made about eight or 900 feet, Tyler and I fessed up to Jim that we had uh, betrayed his trust, and we now believed him that it was going to take us six to eight hours. And uh, so, But everybody ought to go do that. You know, if there's an exercise in frustration, it's climbing the slippery, wet alpine through Devil's Club. That, that's an, that should be just part of the human conditioning experience because there's nothing you can do about it. You just got to suck it up and deal with it. There's no shortcuts. There's no easy way. And it's like, well, how bad do I want this? Or am I going to turn around and go back to the beach? So. I remember Tyler asking me, whatever prompted you to come up here the first time? Why didn't you turn around and go back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And what, 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 why didn't you turn around, Jim? Because I'd work, been up doing inventory on the caves in Karsta on that ridge and where we'd landed with a helicopter like five years before I finally figured out how to get up there. And okay. I'd seen what was up there, and that was a huge carrot. <laughs> mm. Oh. Yeah. You ever do the Sika Blacktail up there, Sam? Yeah. I Well, not in Southeast, but I've done it on Kodiak <clears throat> twice. Okay. Okay. Uh, the first the first time we went in early December and it had snowed a lot and the deer were down lower. We actually saw a lot of them on the beaches and um, that was a really fun hunt. <laughs> we we killed between the six of us. We killed 16 bucks in five days wow. and I killed an all time Boone and Crockett um, that's mounted back there in my living room Um and so that one was, you know, it was brutally cold and windy and snowy, but, you know, wildly successful beyond your wildest dreams. But then I went <clears throat> went up there last summer to be the best man in my best friend's wedding. And uh, our other our other best buddy um, and I had, you know, that was the wedding was on July 30th. And so we had to go do it a hunt on the opener on August 1st. And so we hiked up into the Alpine July 31st, pretty hungover, camped out, <laughs> um, climbed a mountain the next morning, um, saw all sorts of c- cool stuff. It was beautiful. You can see miles and um, found two bucks in a basin way down off the other side of the mountain, got down above them. They, they'd gone into the trees. We got down above them. They came out together and, and we lined out and I said, Nate, you shoot first. I've already got a couple of these things. And so it was whap, whap. And we laid down two bucks that were literally laying on top of each other at one point in their, their tumbles. But we're looking at the map. We're like, man, the road is two miles 
as the crow flies straight down there. Yeah, I see Jim shaking his head. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have good stupidity here. Everybody should be, you know, acknowledging the fault in our in our stars right now. Um, but we're like, you know, the, we're in the the head head basin of a creek. It's very gentle going down. We're like, we can just follow this valley out, hit the road, drop our packs, walk the road back around to where the car is, and then we'll go back and get our camp later instead of going all the way back to the top of the mountain, dropping all the way back down. We should have brought camp with us. We shouldn't ever, ever, ever have followed the creek. Uh, this gentle creek bed turned into a series of waterfalls pretty quickly, some of which were probably 40 feet tall. Um, at 2.3 miles that, um, you know, the the tool on the, the mapping app uh, mm-hmm. took us nearly nine hours through Devil's Club and waterfalls and alders and head high grasses and boulders rolling down. I got hit by a big boulder that got loose. I, I like barn doored off of a, we were climbing down a waterfall on tree roots and one of them broke. Mind you, we both have full gear in our backpacks and i and i swung out sideways 20 feet above a you know a waterfall cascade and managed to hang on and get down and we kept having to climb back up out of the creek into the into the you know higher country but that was every bit as bad with the alders and devil's club and then the bottom end of the creek we start seeing salmon carcasses and this is you know 3 in the morning and, and you know <laughs> along with salmon carcasses come kodiak brown bear <laughs> Stat and tracks, you know, that are as big as your head. Um, and it just kept going and going and going. And, you know, we talk a lot in Montana about how hard elk hunting is and it's, uh, it's in how strenuous those pack outs are. I, you know, I've had a couple pretty, pretty intense ones this year, but there's nothing quite like that Alaskan subalpine devil's club slippery rock all their grass. Oh, it's just, it's violent. And so (laughs) I, I, we learned a lot of lessons that night and uh, learned a lot about ourselves and, you know, our faith (laughs) and our faith in uh, ourselves and uh, our ability to just kind of keep soldiering on. Cause you know, we push so much past what I ever thought would be possible, but we made it out. Well, yeah, and I'll never I, do that again. I, I was going to say, I don't need to do that, Sam. Your story satisfied my curiosity. <laughs> just while I know. Yeah, let that be a warning to everyone. Do not ever uh, follow the creek out. Don't hunt co- Kodiak in August. <laughs> uh, Jace, when you and your dad have went up there, has it just been for bear, or did you guys go do the deer thing? No, just bear. I did a little bit of deer when I was working up there, but... um. Nothing, nothing as crazy as stories of you guys have been telling. <laughs> Pretty, <laughs> but it's been ever, ever really, since I, going I, up to the Alpine and looking for bucks up there. It's been on the top of my list to go back. So it's definitely something I would love to do again. Yeah, it's it. It's one of those things where when you go do it, it's like this is the coolest thing I've done in years. But while you're going there to do it, you're cussing yourself. You're like, who the hell thought this was a good idea? How did Jim Bagedale talk me into this? <laughs> I, 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 how did Sam and his buddy get talked into this? It's, But you do it, right? It's like like I said earlier, yeah. once you're in, into it, 
you, you you're committed. You 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 just there's there's no eject button. You, you just got to see it through. And uh, I guess that's true with a lot of Alaska and a lot of the wild places. Is it's not like you pick up the phone and say, "Hey, can someone get me out of here?" You, you do it. You, you push through. So, but so well. I'm uh, I'm I'm interested, Frank. If you guys are going to have a boat up there next year, you know, offline here we we can talk details, but just just know that. Uh, I'll bring two camera guys this time if you need me to. I'll, I'll bring whatever. A little I mean, bigger boat, couple yeah. camera guys, it'll be good. Yeah, Jim will bring more bison or whatever he's got. He, he Jim has shot two elk this year, so he, he's got elk for us. Whatever else. And, and and if Sam is up there earlier, he can catch a bunch of halibut for us. Man, FedEx comes right to my office. I haven't seen any packages arrive today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, duly noted. We'll make sure that the FedEx guy brings you a package, Frank. What, what, do, what do you want? Caribou, moose, elk, deer? Those all stick all the good. Above. All of the above. Okay. <laughs> Oh man, black bear. black bear! Yeah, I could send you some black bear. I'm not going to have too much of it left here pretty soon, though. I've Marcus in our office. He's kind of like our meat, our specialty meat guy. And uh, I told him we we just got back from a hunt in Colorado, and on the way home, I told him, I said, you know, I got some of these uh, pieces of of uh, black bear from Alaska that I was going to grind up, but we need to make some specialty meats out of them. And he light up, lit up. He's like, let's do some smoked sausages. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. When, when he gets back, maybe we'll thaw some out and we'll, we'll make some smoked bear sausage. And you got a good opportunity because you got caribou and bear. You can make caribou sausage out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah. You know, I, I'm having caribou tonight. Uh when I get home. I got a bunch of backstrap thawed and marinating. Uh when we we always hear this story, and Jim, you can probably verify it, that caribou in the rut are one of the animals that you really can tell that they're in the rut. Is that true? Yeah, I've shot I shot one bull and like that's why I because I, I was there when he was working on that meat and it was wonderful. There was nothing. Yeah, we just let, yeah. You were here in Montana when right, Marcus was working in your kitchen there when we were working on that, and so frequently caribou that late in the year is almost inedible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we ate one backstrap and four tenderloins in camp, and it was fantastic. So I'm I promised my wife uh, I the the this caribou is going to be excellent. She's a little suspicious because Jim, here's the other thing. So folks, uh, Jim can vouch about my handiness on this podcast. I've talked about not being handy forever. So Jim comes blowing through Montana, uh, in early October. And I'm like, Hey, you're, you locked out. I'm home. You ought to come stay at our house. And Jim comes into the kitchen and he's like, your faucet drips pretty bad. I'm like, well, yeah, it has for seven or eight years. Uh, you know, I call the guy. I, I don't fix stuff. Jim says, I can fix that in five minutes. <laughs> 
three hours later, we had to stop, and it's not yet done because our dinner reservation, we're going to be late. And so Jim and my wife, Kim, we go to dinner, and now Jim has a couple glasses of wine, and he's like, I don't think we should work on this tonight. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I don't think we should have started working on it to begin with. I told you, I don't do this stuff. I call the plumber. So the next morning... I'm at the office. Jim wakes up. Him and Kim head down to some hardware Lowe's. store and buy what's that? Lowe's. Lowe's. <laughs> buy a whole brand new faucet arrangement for my kitchen. And Jim installs it for me. I have scored so many points for having a handy friend like Jim stay at the house. I, I, I'm like, I need more handy friends to come and stay at the house because I don't do that stuff. I hunt and fish. So anyone listening, if you need a handyman, just invite Jim Bachdell to come stay at your house. He was going to fix the toilet, too. we got a toilet that's got a leak in it. And uh, he told Kim, he's like, you want me to fix that toilet? And I'm like, no, no, no. We'll save that for the next trip. So, uh, hey, yeah, I forgot that, that you were here. you got to remember that you and I put a pry bar on that cartridge and couldn't get it out of the faucet. It was so corroded in that faucet. We finally yeah. we finally <laughs> pried that cartridge out of there. What did you yeah. say? It was 19 years? Yeah, I did. I've lived in that house 19 years. I'm, you know, until it fully breaks, I'm, I'm not going to fix it. I'm an accountant, you know, I'll tell you what. So, anyhow. Uh, but, Frank, to my credit, I do have skills related to outboard motors. I, three times I've rented boats in Alaska and I've had to repair the outboard motor. And I attribute that to my dad. He bought the cheapest junked out Johnson and Evinrude motors he could find. And we'd push off the dock and you'd get 400 yards from the dock and it'd die. So I learned skills related to outboard motors just because I had to. And so I've hidden that from everybody that, you know, growing up in a logging family, you become a little bit of a mechanic but I don't want my wife to know that. So when the three times I've had to repair boat motors in Alaska, I swore my camera crew to complete secrecy. You cannot tell my wife that I fixed this because she'll think I'm handy and she's going to start giving me a list where she expects me to do it rather than say, yeah, I'll call the guy when I get home. So We'll turn you loose on a couple of the triple V10 400s. I don't think you want me touching that. That's a, no. If if it's not a Johnson Seahorse, I don't think I'm capable. So uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think you want me anywhere near that. But uh, yeah, you know the the old saying: you don't need to be handy if your friends are. You know, you don't need a hunting dog if your buddy has one, and you don't need a Lindell boat if you know Frank O'Neill. But uh, <laughs> I I think everyone should have a, a Lindell boat, and just I, it's. Uh, it's probably not something you do as an impulse purchase, so. Just turn the power off. No, and they can only make so many a year. There's uh Frank's got quite the quite the waiting list for for slots. Really? Yeah, they built a new facility and they're they're damn near running out of space already. Um really? it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty yeah. It's a pretty it's a pretty uh pretty fine product and there's a lot of people itching to to get in there. No, I I can definitely see that. Uh, so I mean, we're in the Yukon. The from, what's that? 
we're in Watson Lake in the Yukon, and some guy is at the outfitters camp, and he says, how'd you like Frank's boat? And he looks at me. I'm like, what What do you say? He said, how'd you like that Lindell boat Frank let you guys camp on? I'm like, how, uh, who are you? What, what do you? He's an outfitter based in Juneau. Really a nice guy. He and his wife and two kids were yeah. hunting up there. And he ran in. He noticed me. And somehow, I think through you and Rob, word got out that we were coming to stay on your boat. And uh, he's an outfitter. And he said he's he's definitely looked into the possibility of uh, buying one of your boats for his outfitting operation. His wife is a um, great guide up there for bear and moose. They're raising their kids. Mm. Just be regular oh, okay. outdoorsman. Glacier Guides is the name of the outfitting. Okay. Okay. See, super nice guy, wife and kids, super nice. And it, but it caught me off guard. I'm like, in Watson Lake, Yukon, of all places, someone's going to ask me about a Lindell boat. <laughs> uh, but yeah. small world, I guess. Uh, all of our owners are cut from the same cloth, just rugged outdoorsmen. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it was a ton of fun. I, I sure appreciate it. It's uh, I think Jim and Jason and I would admit it was the uh, as relaxing and enjoyable of a Southeast Alaska bear hunt as we could have ever had. Oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> we we owe that to you. Glad to, to have you, to you and, Frank. You know, I was up up there for twenty three days in May between the two shoots and. Walking in there to help you pack out that bear was the highlight for me. Really? Oh, cool. I'm glad to hear that. It was uh, it was fun. I, I know when Jason and I looked up, Jay said, oh, it looks like we got help coming. I peeked up and I could see you guys coming. I'm like, yeah. Because at that, what's the deal with the noceums up there, Jim? They, they like you. I, I was, I was uh, getting absolutely eaten alive while I was taking care of my bear what's is that like just me or is that i don't know the they weren't they weren't pestering me much but i know they were sure around you yeah well they probably were trying to get even with me for some reason i don't know <laughs> but uh no i was i'm glad that was a highlight frank i i just yeah. uh, you know I, I think when people see the episode they're gonna see how much fun we had and uh Usually, you got to violate some sort of code to have that much fun, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, was, it was just a blast. And Sam, thanks for hooking us up and and connecting us all. And uh, yeah, I'd, I I'm I'm serious. If ever we can uh, take some footage of your boat, you just let us know when. We'll we'll be there, and uh, we'll we'll have Jim come along, and he'll make coffee and breakfast, and and bring all the meat treats that we need and uh i think we'd be set yeah we'll organize off camera yeah yeah, uh, the, yeah we're gonna have some cool ideas for next year yeah uh one of one of the things that uh is interesting in this office now is jace is they're gonna try muscle jace out if we ever do uh, the rest of the crew if we ever do another hunt off a of lindell boat uh all the other guys who've had to do the camp on the beach and the miserable rain scene, 
they're they're like Jones and like, hey, Jace, you're not the highest on the pro. We got seniority on you, but uh, I'd give Jace first crack at it again. I'll put a good word in for you, Jace. I appreciate it, Frank. (laughs) 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 I, I remember when Randy first mentioned this bear hunting trip and the Lindell boat opportunity. Michael and Marcus and I were all sitting there and we all kind of just looked at each other like, Oh boy, who's the lucky guy to go on this one? <laughs> I don't know how that came to be that yeah. I, I made I, it out there, but I'm, I'm glad it worked out that way. <laughs> yeah. I know how it yeah, came Michael to be. Complained to me a lot about that. <laughs> well, well, here's the deal. Michael went fishing. He, right. Michael had a fishing yeah. trip planned and Marcus, Marcus had committed to a bear hunt here in Montana with his buddy Rocky. And Jace is like, well, you guys go do that stupid stuff. <laughs> I'm going to Alaska and I'm going to rough it. Uh, but so, well, thanks so much, guys. I, I, I hope that the audience sees the fascination we all have with Southeast Alaska. Jim, you have the fascination so much. You've lived there for how long now? Uh, going on 35 years. I moved here and yeah. fell in love with this place. As a yeah. geologist, there was so much to do and figure out and stuff, but that was a good gig. Yeah, well, I appreciate you showing me around. You're, you're about as good of a tour guide as Jason and I could ever ask for. Uh, just the things you show us about you know, all the natural history, the archaeology, the, the indigenous things. I, <clears throat> You've heard me tell a hundred times that fish trap that you showed us in that cove that one time. I just thought it was a weird rock structure that somehow ended up out in this estuary. And Jim points out, no, that's how the indigenous people set. They, they built fish traps out of that. And I'm like... Oh, yeah. So now every time I go to an estuary, I'm looking for a rock wall to see if there's another fish trap out there. But uh, if if you ever get a chance, Sam, uh, having Jim as a tour guide for Southeast Alaska, it's it's well worth it. I think Frank and Jim, uh, one day, didn't you guys take a break and go find some uh, some uh, fossils fossils on the beach? What is that? Sea lilies. They're in the echinoderm family. They... This was Mississippian, so this is like 300 and some odd million years old. And uh, they were up to an inch in diameter, and so they had a long, tall stalk and a head that fed up, uh, that would comb the water and take nutrients out of the water. And these things got torn apart with a volcanic eruption, and virtually all the aggregate on the beach that Frank and I was on were these little pieces of cryonite. Hmm. Pretty cool. Wow. Wow. Well, if we get up there next year, I'll be angling to link up with you, Jim. And I'd love to, love to hear. We also need to what you know. do some comparative stuff on steelhead streams and timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's a lot more, even more interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever hunt with a, bio, uh, a, a geologist, on his landscape that he's in charge of it is one of the most educational hunts you'll ever go on jim points out all this stuff and i'm like the three-year-old right who dad why this hey dad why is the sky blue hey dad why 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 is it raining today and jim puts up with all my questions i'm i don't know 
maybe off camera, he's like, this guy's driving me nuts with all these questions. I wish he'd leave, but uh, I, <clears throat> I'm blessed. We're, we're lucky to have uh, Jim let us tag along. And, and exactly. Your wife wants you. me to come back and stay with you for a month. She did. You should see her list, Jim. <laughs> she said that she's taking you and Karen to Fort Peck walleye fishing, but I haven't heard if I'm invited yet. <laughs> so anyone who, who doesn't know, my wife is the walleye angling nut of the world. Uh, so she said, yeah, I'll take Jim and Karen walleye fishing to Fort Peck because Jim's wife, Karen, wants to go see Fort Peck Dam. And, uh, and I pointed out so I never caught a walleye before. Right. And she looked at how long her honeydew repair it list is. And she said, well, my husband hasn't got to this in 19 years. J- J- Jim's been here a week and he's already got half of it fixed. So be careful, it Jim. <laughs> yeah, it'd be careful. You're probably being drawn into a trap here. But uh, Well, guys, thanks for taking the time to just sit around, tell stories about this great hunt you know all this stuff is going to roll out on our youtube channel about the same time this podcast drops so uh i hope people will go there and and look at it and watch it uh be as fascinated with that landscape as as we all are uh and hopefully you'll you'll try to go to alaska and have an adventure like i said a lot some people think the logistics are overwhelming but I think Alaska has done a pretty good job of solving it and making it less of a complication. And yeah, it costs some money, but it doesn't cost any more than a lot of other vacations you could go on. And it's it definitely is is going to be a highlight of your year or maybe a highlight of your decade if you uh, go do it. So December 15th is your chance if you want to go there and hunt. Just don't apply for the tag Jason and I are applying for. Right, yeah, Jason? Let's, let's keep that. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're not gonna <clears throat> we're not gonna Yeah. Let's not give them all the tricks of how to get a tag. But I I'm gonna jinx myself by saying this, guys, but since Alaska went to careful, limited careful, entry careful. for <laughs> Okay. I'm not gonna say it then. <laughs> Jim knows that he's gonna say it. All right. What do they say? You brag about your shooting after the hunt? That's right. Right? Okay. I'll brag about my draw luck after the draw. So, but, well, guys, we've kept you long. Any last words, thoughts, ideas you guys want to give the audience before we we let them back to to dreaming about Alaska? Yeah, I'll just say, you know, Follow Lindell Yachts on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. Check out our website. We're doing a lot of cool stuff, not limited to bear hunting um, and got a lot more in the works. And um, it's they're cool boats and cool people who are running them. So check it out. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Frank, thanks so much for having us. I, uh, you can see how big of a smile I have right now. It's as much as I'm smiling now, when we were out on that boat, my grandpa used to say, I had a smile like a ripple on a slop pail. I don't know what that really meant other than it was a big smile. Uh, and every day that's what I had. And uh, thanks for, for having us. Yeah. Very, very kind of you. We'll do it again. All right. Well, the boat well, guys, was wonderful, but uh, Frank, you really made the trip. 
So I just, yeah. I really appreciate everything you did for us. You bet. It was a lot yeah. of fun hanging out with you guys for the week. Well, if uh, if we can do that again, I'm sure you got three guys who are going to step forward and volunteer to to be your uh, your your test run again. So I'll have to get you some uh, hoodies that say "Fish Hard, Rest Easy." There you go, or "Hunt Hard, Rest Easy" in our case, right? But. Well, folks, thanks for being here. Hope you appreciate uh, all the time that uh, these guests have, have taken to, to tell some Alaska stories and uh, hopefully encourage you uh, to go and check out Alaska. It's uh, it's one of our greatest places. Those who live up there are probably saying, shut up, Newberg, we don't need any more people. But uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place. And I hope if you go there and you enjoy it, that you advocate for keeping Alaska what it is because it's, it's a special place. Thanks for being here, folks. When the sun came shining and I was strolling And the wheat fields waving and the dust clouds rolling Is the fog was lifting a voice was chatting This land was made for you and me Man.